36, Hides of Naga. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to an August 29th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this bi-weekly podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Some people call me the Space Cowboy, yeah. Some call me the Gangster of Love. It's the fourth quarter, the final inning, the third period, and there will be no overtime. Today's episode is the final installment in our series dedicated to objects from the museum's current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. People talk about me, baby. In the Flint Hills of Kansas, rodeo royalty reigned. Join Assistant Director Rebecca Martin and me as we examine a pair of riding chaps made by Gerald Roberts, a rodeo legend in Kansas. As good as he was, though, his father, brother, and sister were even better. The Roberts family raked in crowns and trophies in the 1940s. Yet if this family was so good at busting Bronx, what were they doing stitching together green psychedelic chaps? I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. Later, join us as we play another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. We're taking down political careers by connecting this controversial editor from Emporia, Kansas to 2008 presidential nominees. See who's up first. But first, Hides of Naga. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi, Merle. How are you? I'm doing pretty well today. Good. Um, we're going to talk about a set of full-length green Nagahide chaps from the 1960s. And this is what you wrote about in your last Cool Things article, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so first question. These chaps uh, were made by Gerald Roberts. He was a member of the Roberts family, which is a large ranching family from Strong City, Kansas. And Strong City is sort of located in central eastern Kansas. Um, the Roberts, the family, was often referred to as rodeo royalty. Why is that? When I was trying to decide how to answer this question, it was difficult because I don't know where to start with these people because they are legends in in rodeo. And part of that is because they have won national and world titles. And of the four family members who were involved in rodeo, all of them, all four of them are in halls of fame. Emmett, the father, was... um, that his title? That was his title, the father, (laughs) Emmett T. Father. Um, He was active in founding a very influential rodeo here in Kansas, but he also was involved in professionalizing the sport around the country. Um, He he raised and and sold uh, Bronx uh, and Bulls for rodeo competitions. And then he had these three children who um, became involved in rodeo at a very, very young age. One girl and two boys, Marge, Ken, and Gerald, who we're talking about today. Um, but I, will like to, I would like to tell a little bit about the other two children because they're part of this rodeo royalty uh, tradition. Uh, Marge was one of the best female bronc riders in her day. 
Her problem, well, she won a national title. Her problem was that right around the time she was becoming quite famous, another woman was killed in a bronc riding competition, and rodeo started to cut out all of the competitions, bronc riding competitions for women as a result. So Marge could have gone on to lots of fame and glory. Uh, she was the oldest, and she joined uh, up with the Wild West show at the age of 13, which wow. is just unheard of today. Um, but these kids had been on horses, and they'd been breaking horses for their dad, Emmett, for years, almost since they could walk. And then once Marge got into the Wild West show circuit, and then from there on the rodeo circuit, her two younger brothers followed her, Ken and Gerald. And these guys, because, of course, they had more opportunities because they were men, and there were a lot more competitions for men, um, they, and, and they were just incredibly skilled, they became world champions in their sport. Um, Gerald, who made the chaps we're talking about, he won two world all-around competitions, uh, which is uh, it's a huge deal to win two of them. Though rodeo is a popular sport today, it wasn't really, it wasn't always considered a, a recreation. What is the origin of rodeo? The grounding, the roots of rodeo are in roping and riding. So you see a lot of riding and roping competitions uh, or aspects to rodeo. Um, and then also the competition kind of came about, it kind of came about organically out of these uh, cowboy roundups. Cowboys um, you know, would get together at the end of the trail. And of course, Kansas is a big trail state. The Chisholm Trail was here. Abilene was here. You know, we, we have a long cowtown tradition. Uh, the cattle drives uh, would end up in Kansas. And so you'd have these cowboys getting together um, and they would brag at, at, about their own roping skills. I bet I can rope this calf faster than you can. Mm -hmm. And so it, was, it grew out of a very informal competition among cowboys. Uh, right around the turn of the 20th century, you start to see it become more formal and become a serious competition with some serious prize money being awarded. If uh, Gerald Roberts was such an outstanding rodeo athlete, uh, like you were saying, why was he uh, wasting time making chaps for other people? Probably in the 1950s, he um, started to look for alternative means of income, uh, so, and he got involved in, uh, he endorsed Wrangler Jeans, and he was he was wildly famous by that time. Two world championships, he, you know, everybody in rodeo knew who he was. Um, and then he got involved in Hollywood. He became a stuntman in the movies, and he always said that that ruined his rodeo career, although by this time, he was getting a little long in the tooth, uh, to use a, a horse analogy. Old. Yeah. <laughs> He was he was getting up there, and all those years of you know hitting the rodeo arena hard had to be adding up. So it made sense that he was wanting to phase out of his career. Uh, and when he came back to to Kansas from Hollywood, he uh, got involved in along with his siblings in. Um, other aspects of the rodeo business. I mean, other kids in the Roberts family were providing um, stock, cattle, um, you know, bulls, horses to the rodeo. And Gerald uh, got in, you know, stayed on. I mean, he was also involved in ranching, but he also uh, moved into this rodeo apparel business where um, he was, you know, he, he knew the business inside out, obviously, and he knew what people wanted in the stands um, and the people who were at, would actually be wearing these things and wanting to be noticed. And 
A big part of rodeo is showmanship. Uh, you want to be seen from the stands. You want to be memorable um, to the people in the stands because the more memorable memorable you are and the more um, championships you win, the more likely you're going to get endorsements. And Gerald got an endorse. He endorsed Wrangler jeans, and he made some nice money that way. I mean, rodeo is different from most organized professional sports in that you don't sign a team contract. Uh, if you're a rodeo performer, even today, you're making your money off of your prize purses and endorsements and sponsorships. And you're only going to get those if you're good. So you really have to work hard. Um, so Gerald knew all those things. And so what we think of us today as gaudy, well, let's face it, they are gaudy. They're green. <laughs> they are, they're, they're not a subtle shade of green. They're like really bright green. Um, he knew his audience and he knew what they wanted. And he built that into these chaps. So that sort of explains why the chaps look the way they do. They, they're sort of a really green and gaudy color. Um, they're quilted and puffy, and they almost look inflatable. Yeah, we were saying they almost look like two sausages. <laughs> and so that was done um, to sort of catch the eye of the spectators, correct? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and also to protect the cowboy's legs. Um, although I don't know how much these could have protected you from a charging bull. Um, if you got gored, you'd have foam rubber in your... <laughs> In your leg. Well, that's good. Yeah, they're padded with foam rubber, which these chaps are, which accounts for that kind of swollen appearance. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really, chaps were, again, that's another thing that comes out of a ranching tradition because a chap, chaps were going to protect your legs if you're riding through underbrush. Um you know, out on the range. Um, but in the arena, they're also going to protect your legs from brushes with the fence, uh, with equipment, and theoretically from a charging bull. However, uh, you know, they're, the Kevlar vests that the riders wear today protect them a lot more than the chaps and in the 1960s. Naga hide foam yeah. rubber. <laughs> Naga hide, not known for its, yeah, shock absorbing qualities. <laughs> On the side of the chaps, the letters FHR are sewn boldly. Um, what does FHR stand for? Well, I bet you know what the R stands for, Merle. I'm guessing rodeo. Yeah, you are. You are so smart. Thanks. Uh, FH stands for Flint Hills. And Gerald made these for the Flint Hills Rodeo, which his father founded in 1937. I mean, Emmett had these three kids who were basically obsessed with rodeo. And he thought, well, you know, if they're going to keep running off and joining these Wild West shows and going on the rodeo circuit, maybe I can start something here in Kansas that'll keep them home and also please the local ranchers. So he started the Flint Hills Rodeo near Strong City, which is such a great name for a rodeo town. Right. All those strong cowboys. Um, and the Flint Hills, for those of you who don't know Kansas, that's uh, the ranching region of the state. The Flint Hills are a geo geographic formation, I guess, and uh, it's not good for farming. Right. It doesn't lend itself well to crop farming, so it's no. mainly pasture land. Yeah, and it's uh, it's actually the location of some of the world's last big stands of tall grass prairie, prairie being very conducive to um, cattle weight gain. So if you want to come to Kansas today, you can look up the Kansa Prairie and the tall grass, National Tall Grass Prairie Preserve uh, and to see what it looked like back in those days. And you were telling me earlier a little bit of what some of those early rodeos looked like before the construction of the arena. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's sure. really interesting. It is. Um, Emmett, the first rodeo Emmett had in 1937 on his ranch was what they called a pasture rodeo, which 
you know, it's it's pasture land, right? It's it's open range essentially with uh, fences few and far between. Fencing is expensive, and you're not going to throw up an arena for something you don't know if it's going to take off or not. Is you're really doing it for your kids? Um, so he followed the pasture rodeo tradition by getting a bunch of friends and neighbors together and parking. They they parked their cars and trucks in a big circle, <laughs> and that was their arena. So your your automobile essentially forms the. Uh barrier of the yeah. arena. <laughs> As I said earlier, these chaps are made of a stunning green naugahyde material, which naugahyde is a synthetic uh, imitation of leather developed in the 1960s. Do you think if rodeo bulls could form an opinion, what do you think they would have thought of naugahyde? Would they have been relieved or disgusted at seeing its imitation? I think that rodeo bulls can't think or can barely think because uh, you and I both grew up on a farm, so on farms, so we know that cattle are basically at the bottom of the uh, hierarchy of intelligence when it comes to farm animals. Correct. They're one step above chickens. Correct. Uh -huh. Low on the IQ test. Very low on the IQ test. Uh, so I would have to answer this question as a human, and I would think that it would be nice to not have leather on a chaps. That instead you'd have a Naga hide, and you know, I could make all sorts of jokes about the hides of Nagas, which you know, <laughs> that's an that. old joke, old joke. <laughs> Synthetic material must relieve uh, any any animal if they can think at all, which they can't because right. you know, rodeo bulls are there just dumb, dumb as mud. Right. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for uh, telling us what the opinion of a rodeo bull would be, and <laughs> thanks for telling us about Gerald Roberts' chaps. You're welcome. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of you lately at all. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And joining me today is Assistant Registrar, Nikayla Zimmerman. Nikayla, how are you doing? I'm good. Excellent. Well, today we're going to start a little something new with Six Degrees of William Allen White. Um, in the uh, primary or preliminary spirit of the 2008 presidential elections, um, in the next couple weeks, we're going to attempt to connect William Allen White to uh, a plethora of current presidential nominees. Oh, can it be done? Since we're just starting this, we have an example. Merle, can you connect William Allen White to Barack Obama? Well, that is funny that you should ask that, because as a matter of fact, I can. And it goes a little something like this. Well, William Allen White had a mother. What? He had a mother? Yeah, her name was Mary Ann Hatton, and her Irish Catholic family immigrated to the U.S. in the 1830s. Well, um, before Marianne went on to meet a young, dashing uh, doctor from El Dorado named Alan White, uh, she attended Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Um, interestingly, while she was there, she actually sort of advocated the abolitionist cause, and she was even present at the fifth Lincoln-Douglas debate. She actually saw a Lincoln-Douglas debate herself. Cool. So, keep that in mind. Knox College, Galesburg, Illinois. In 2005, Illinois' junior senator and today a presidential candidate, Barack Obama, gave the Knoxville College commencement address. So, there, so you, there you have it, William L. White to Barack Obama. Wow, amazing. Right. And uh, what were you telling me earlier, Nikayla, uh, how people should use this, uh, this connection to William Allen White as a, as a device to gauge? Yeah, I really feel that if people take into consideration how the candidates are related to William Allen White in the six degrees, 
that that can help them make a more informed decision when they go to the polls. So essentially, while voting in 2008, your vote should be based on the, the value of the connection, convincingness of the connection. Right. The closer the connection, the, the more. The more, the better the candidate. Correct. Say. Yes. All right. So. Okay. Well, in the next episode's challenge, it's going to be. To connect William Allen White to Fred Thompson, the former senator from the state of Tennessee, and of course, cast member of Law and Order. Right. So, if you have a solution, if you have a connection between William Allen White and the former cast member of Law and Order, Fred Thompson, uh, please email your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcast with an S. Because I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. That concludes episode 36, Hides of Naga. Join us in two weeks when we return to highlighting the coolest objects in the museum's collection. In the next few months, you'll hear about a jaguar gunned down by Teddy Roosevelt, examine a ballot box that was spit out of a tornado, and read inscriptions from an author who may have had a crush on our very own William Allen White. We'll also take you up 296 steps to the top of the state's capital in order to find out about a shoe that ended up stuffed in its walls. It's all coming up on Kansas Historical Society's Cool Things Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. People keep talking about me, baby. Say I'm